0: Your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest, coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Hello, all you lords, latest, and nights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I am pumped today because we've got two of my best friends and two of your hosts joining me. I'm Russell Guest, your host, and joining me is Brian Fry from Spokane, Washington. Brian, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Good evening, everybody. And
0: joining us is who?
1: Our other host, Chad Robinson.
2: I'm back from probation. I got bleeped (laughs) once. And I
1: never going back.
0: (laughs) It's funny, like, if you don't know Chad, like, in real life, he's the last person you would think that would need a bleep and i don't remember what episode uh, it was it was so it was back. highlander Islander
2: it was yeah. a quote too it was a movie quote i got bleeped and then i got banned
0: it was a direct quote you're right i normally let that go but then I, I i got to it in the editing room and i was like oh man i don't know i, I can't let that one go <laughs>
2: chad what was the quote i want to come back in the next two months yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: Go back and check Highlander out if you haven't heard it. Uh, um, so
1: I was really uh, hoping you'd just go for it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so
0: let's break the ice a little bit here. It's uh, been a while since the three of us have been on together. So what is the last movie you saw, Brian?
1: I, I watched uh, Netflix's The Terminal, uh, starring Margot Robbie, uh, Seth Meyer, and uh, Simon Pegg. Oh, okay. Yeah, I actually, I, I thought, wait, Was Margot Robbie in The Terminal? Yes. Not the Tom Hanks movie.
0: That's exactly where my mind was going. I was like, that's Catherine Zeta-Jones and uh, Tom Hanks. I mean,
1: okay. For clarity's sake, we'll just call it Terminal. Okay. It may just be Terminal. But yeah, it's a, it was a really fun movie. I spent a huge chunk of it trying to figure out who one of these characters was because they look so familiar. And lo and behold, it turns out he is uh, Jeremy Irons' son.
0: Not Tom and Hanks.
1: Once, once I figured it out, I was like, oh my God. Makes so much more sense now.
0: <laughs> Which is better? the That one or the Tom Hanks one?
1: I would rather watch the Margot Roby one again. Uh, but as far as film goes, the Tom Hanks one is a better film.
0: Okay. And Chad, what about you? What's the last movie you saw?
2: I'm cooped up, so I thought the movie Cabin Fever would be a good idea. Ooh. Uh, I had no real context other than the title. Yeah, that was... Uh, that was a mistake.
1: I love the end of that movie, though. It's the best <laughs> twist. The end of that movie is the best twist.
0: My most recent movie, and I'm somebody who has to take movies in sequential order, so I'm way behind uh, other people, so I'm do- I'm going through the Star Trek movies very slowly. It'll probably take me years. Uh, but anyway, I watched Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. So I'm now prepared to go on to Star Trek for
1: The Voyage Home.
2: Oh, Ooh. you're in for a bad time.
1: Oh, dude, see... Th- that's one of my closet favorite star trek movies like yeah. i i totally get why people hate it but it's so cheesy and 90s and i just I, I liked it
0: okay well i'm, I'm a little bit <laughs> eager to go forward then with uh, with conflicting reviews from you guys so today's movie is going to feature rural america and i wanted to ask you guys what is your favorite rural america movie
2: Chad? I think the nicest one I could come up with would be A River Runs Through It. There are a lot of good horror movies, too, but uh, I I really enjoyed A River Runs Through It.
0: Okay. And what about you, Brian?
1: I'm kind of doing this off the cuff, so I probably, given more time, could think of something I've liked better, but I'm going to go with Harrison Ford's Witness.
0: Oh, love Hmm. that movie. That's a great one. Yeah. I'm going to go with October Sky.
2: Yeah. Uh-huh. rocket solid blind, yeah
1: Yep,
0: yep solid hits me in my west virginia heart
1: yeah no that's that's a good one too and just so everybody knows deliverance was filmed in georgia so i know what yes. you all are thinking
0: yeah <laughs> i, I <laughs> went for a, i went for a positive movie not a negative movie, so, um, uh, you could you could have gone with deer hunter
2: yeah wrong turn is not that bad i will defend it the rest of them they get worse
0: now what is your favorite drug movie? Because drugs are in this movie today as well. So, Brian, do you want to take you to this one?
1: All right. I'm going to go with the movie Go. If you've never seen the movie Go, it is awesome. It is full of ecstasy and talking cats, and I could not possibly recommend it more. <laughs>
0: okay. And what about you, Chad? What is your favorite drug movie?
2: Well, this is going to get... A groan from you, Russell, but it's fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Mm, ah, yeah. oh,
0: that's a good one too. Yeah. yeah, good. yeah I'm, I'm in the I'm in the minority on that one. I know I am. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who love that movie, not me. But uh, if you
1: want a movie that encompasses the most drugs, I think that definitely wins.
0: Yeah, man, that's true. <laughs> yeah, like uh, they
1: la- they have all the drugs in that movie.
0: All of the drugs. So uh, if you can't tell, I don't tend to like drug movies. So my favorite drug movie is 21 Jump Street.
2: It's a good choice though.
0: Yeah, could have gone half
1: baked half makes
0: a, a, a strong, fa- yeah, that's a good runner-up, yeah, I mean, these are, these are the kind of realm that I want to be in, you know, I mean, so, uh, uh, a drug movie for me is more Cheech and Chong and less, uh, uh, Blow with Johnny Depp.
2: I'm right there with you. Not a fan of train spotting, not a fan of Blow.
1: But anyway, today, what movie is it we're gonna do, Brian? We are gonna do Winter's Bone, starring Jennifer Lawrence. That's right.
0: Winter's Bone comes out in 2010. It is made for a small budget of $2 million. It grosses $6.5 million domestic, so it certainly made its money back and then some. It places in the box office that you're at $160, so that's not real high, coming in behind It's a Funny Kind of Story and coming ahead of Under the Sea 3D. The number one movie that year was Avatar, and it made a lot more money than that. (laughs) (laughs) IMDb gives this movie a 72 Render's Bone gets a 94% fresh rating from the critics of Rotten Tomatoes. The audience, a little bit behind, gives it a 76%. Now, this is a Sundance movie, so it came up through the film festival scene and it wins at Sundance. It's a winner. It has the grand prize jury for Best Dramatic Film and Best Screenplay award for the 2010 Sundance Film Festival. It also comes away with four Oscar nominations, including Best Picture. It lost to King's Speech. It comes away with the Best Actress for Jennifer Lawrence nomination, but she lost to Natalie Portman in Black Swan. Not sure I agree with that, having seen this movie now. Best Supporting Actor, John Hawks. He lost to Christian Bale in The Fighter. I think that was okay on that one. And the Best Adapted Screenplay was nominated. It didn't win any of these, and it also came away with four Golden Globe nominations as well. And uh, again, Jennifer Lawrence lost to Natalie Portman in that one. So, uh, Chad, you're you're ready to come back, I'm sure, and tell me that... uh, you know, Natalie Portman deserved that.
2: Absolutely. It was yeah. a much more demanding role. Yeah.
0: He's a fan. He's a fan.
1: Yeah, all right. So, let me let me just play devil's advocate for a second there. I totally understand why you're saying Natalie Portman for Black Swan is a much more demanding role. But if you want to go to age versus actual like skill to that point, like I feel like there's got to be a bell curve here for Jennifer Lawrence being 19 years old. And basically dropping this bombshell on your doorstep versus Natalie Portman, who's been in the biz for as long as she has, bringing a, a, a great performance. I mean, I just feel like there's got to be a uh, a bell curve here. And this was the
0: out of nowhere movie, too, because this is the lowest grossing film nominated for a Best Picture since 1983 is The Dresser. And uh, I mean, so people didn't see this one coming. It was like a uh, swerve in the road. So.
2: She's got time. I mean, she had Natalie Portman's the better actress and has been a consistently great actress, even in Leon the Professional. So Jennifer Lawrence has time to get one.
1: I get it. Maybe she'll get one for (laughs) X-Men.
2: She was the worst part of that.
1: My gripe on that mode of thinking, though, is the same thing that kept George Lucas out of the Academy
0: oh gosh yeah you're right
1: so as soon as you start saying oh they've got chance then you know maybe they don't you don't know
2: i feel like they knew something about george lucas that we didn't at the time and then he made episode one and he proved them (sighs) right
1: i don't know that's fine but he still was like i I mean i don't want to like super argue this or anything how long did it take
0: to dicaprio to get his award you know i mean come on (laughs) exactly exactly
1: and that guy was like not phoning in like he didn't do let's go fishing like DiCaprio kept like plowing in these huge performances and he kept getting snubbed. <laughs> I, I th- When he finally won, like all the, the, the memes and everything that came out of that and his good humor from finally getting one, like kudos for him. But I just, I don't like the method of thinking, oh, well this was great, but she's young. She's got time.
3: Yeah,
2: I don't want to spoil too much, but she was the worst part of this movie for me. Oh, well, oh, you, whoa,
1: table that hot take. Oh. Hot take
0: alert. Hot take alert. <laughs> Boiling hot take. I'm scalded. Um, <laughs> let's get into this a little bit, though. Brian, had you seen this movie before? What was it like coming back to it now? Tell us what your feelings were on this.
1: So this is one of those movies that would typically, like, given the genre and what it's about and everything, would fall under those... Wow, this was a great movie that I'll never watch again. I felt completely the opposite when I watched this the first time. I was completely blown away by it. I was actually really apprehensive about watching it at all the first time because I kind of knew what I was getting into. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Really love this movie. I bought it immediately afterward. And uh, when you picked it as uh, for this, I was like, yes.
0: Is it And it's holding up well for you
1: then? Oh, of course. Awesome. I think you could watch this movie in 30 years and everything would still be relevant in it.
0: Yeah, probably. Now, Chad, I'm detecting that you may feel differently.
2: (laughs) I had never seen this movie before. I had no context for what it was about. I didn't read anything up front, which I, I think is making Russell twitch. Did no homework up front, so I didn't even know what kind of movie it was even halfway through. I'm like where is this going? What is the point? That having been said, now especially where I grew up and where I had family. You know, we say Charleston, my family's from Elk River and from the Spencer areas and uh, a lot of Roan County. So I I've seen a lot of what's presented in Missouri here. So it was really well casted. It was well done, and I think it'll hold up well. Uh, unfortunately, rural America, like you said, lags behind. It'll look like this for a long time. That being said, yeah, it was a it was a well done movie.
0: Okay, okay, so okay then. So you're you're a little more positive than I was detecting. So that's good to know. I had a hard time deciding how I, this movie affected me, particularly the first time through probably because we have a baby and this movie was chopped up into five segments uh, my first time through. (laughs) So it went way better the second time around. And I want to really praise a lot of the detailed aspects of this one. And uh, it was interesting watching this one. Mary was watching it with me and she did not like this. And so I came away with a positive experience that she didn't. We rarely have this kind of uh, fork in the road like this. So uh, it was interesting here. It was a, it, it divided the house on this one. So, but I I did like it, and I had I thought that this movie was going to be one thing more than it was, and I got something a little bit different, and I was still very pleased. But I want I'd been wanting to see this movie since the Oscar nomination came out years ago. I saw most of the other movies that were nominated that Oscars year, and it's just kind of been one of those ones that's been lingering around then and there, and I've had good recommendations to see it, and uh, I also was I purchased this one for the low cost of three dollars. Well worth it. Yeah. Now, uh, we're going to spoil Winter's Bones. If you haven't seen it, watch out. We'll be back after these messages. This is William Jefferson Clinton, your
3: 42nd president of the United States of America. But you can call me Bill. After my presidency, I have enjoyed playing more jazz saxophone, eating Big Macs, traveling more, and watching movies with my special lady. Occasionally, I enjoy a movie with Hillary, too. Being a fan of movies, I found the Retro Movie Roundtable podcast in America. I gotta say, I like this podcast. Join me and go into iTunes, Spitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Retro Movie Roundtable, give them a five-star review, comment on what you'd like to hear from the show. Personally, I love the show as it is, but I'd like to hear them choose some more steamy titles, like Basic Instinct, Eyes Wide Shut, Strip Tease, Boogie Nights, or Showgirls america those are my kind of movies give the retro movie roundtable a like on facebook email john russell at retromovieroundtable@yahoo.com. roundtable at yahoo.com tell them bill sent you goodbye for
0: now america okay we're back and this is your final warning there will be spoilers that lie ahead now chad for those who haven't seen winner's Bone* since 2010 do you want to refresh people's memory
2: i would love to Jennifer Lawrence is playing Ree Dolly, a teenage girl in rural Missouri living with her ailing mother and two younger siblings. Her meth-cooking daddy goes missing. She sets out on a mission to discover what has happened to him. She proceeds to go door-to-door for about 45 minutes of the film, asking questions to a bunch of distant relatives. You can insert, insert any joke you like here. Didn't happen in West Virginia. These relatives grow increasingly hostile to her quest. She's aided along the way by her meth-addicted uncle, Teardrop. Eventually, the bondsman comes looking for Jessup, Ree's father, because he'd put the house up as bail. He informs Ree that if Jessup isn't found to be dead, they'll lose the house in a week. Ree visits the local crime boss, and the women of the family proceed to beat her up, but are interrupted by her uncle, Teardrop. A few nights later, the same women show up at Ree's house and agree to take her to her father's bones, which sounds like a totally trustworthy proposition ree goes along with them and chainsaws her father's hands off after pulling his submerged body from a bog then she delivers the hands to the sheriff not revealing the truth about how she obtained them and sits on her porch as her youngest sister plays the banjo no really that that's how it ends
0: i first of all I want to say that is a great surprisingly simple way of saying how did you get these hands because i was sitting there like I, I, I was sitting there because like what are you gonna say how did you get these and she's like someone threw them up on the porch i was like so simple brilliant
2: that is a line that only works in rural america
1: <laughs> it's so believable too
2: <laughs> or possibly inner city chicago
0: uh that's true Candyman. <laughs> <laughs> So this is about desperation to hold your world together. It's a family trying to survive held together by a daughter or an eldest daughter who's, you know, got a dysfunctional mother and basically what was a really bad father who's now gone missing. And uh, it's really compelling to see how she has to do that in order to hold her family together. She has to confront the darkness and her father was consumed by that same darkness and she has to enter that world as a seventeen-year-old girl, uh, you're very afraid for her as she's doing this, and so uh, it was—it uh, was a movie that was a testament of courage, and you could kind of feel that. I was—I was afraid for her as she was going through there. What was—what was your feeling as you're going through this movie on the plot, Brian?
1: Sorry, I have a quick question. Was Teardrop using meth that whole time? Because I thought it was cocaine. Now this might just show my ignorance of various forms of meth, but I thought you smoked meth. And he kept snorting something, and it looked like cocaine. So I was just curious.
0: I assumed it was meth, but I'm also not really the best meth
1: user to ask questions to, so <laughs> it, I don't know. It's,
2: it was meth. Okay. Okay.
1: I know you said, like, have you gotten a taste for it yet? And I was like, okay, well, I get it, but I just didn't know meth was like a snortable as well, well as its various. Very,
2: well it as burnable, yeah.
1: I, I always I thought it was like a crack pipe thing.
0: Yep, that's why you come to Retro Movie Roundtable, learning various ways of ingesting (laughs) meth.
1: I didn't do any research on meth before this podcast.
2: I had enough working at IHOP.
1: You had enough meth working at my IHOP?
2: Oh, our, our general manager was a huge tweaker. She always told me how much stuff she could get done on meth when she doesn't sleep for several days.
1: God, I always wondered why those pancakes were so irresistible. <laughs> I want to keep this in so bad, but we got to steer back on.
0: <laughs> so, Brian, how did you take the story of Winter's Bone?
1: I mean, completely, completely believable. Uh, I think this is this is one of the things that makes movies like this so compelling, because, like Chad said, you know, we grew up around a lot of this, and not necessarily a lot of like hardcore myth shops and everything, but it's ever present. And you know, you take two steps out of Charleston and you're, you're in this. So I thought this was a great movie. In fact, I think it almost took my third watch, uh, not for the podcast, but just watching it on my own before, um, I caught a couple of the Missouri references. It was, this was almost a movable place for me.
2: Yeah. I, I have several friends from Missouri and I'm, familiar with midwest accents and i was like "Why? why are they going with this accent for missouri but apparently okay. i'm, I'm in, glad that
1: that was a, a, a stipulation
2: i had to look it up but uh apparently people from missouri say in the ozark area this is what they sound like it's like this is this is not what the midwest sounds like that's not what my friends sound like
0: they did mention that they were close to the arkansas border
2: yeah yeah they did
0: so, yeah, it's not what I think of when I think of Missouri. Obviously, I'm probably thinking of St. Louis, but, I mean, I like Brian, I, this could have been – this felt like Kentucky or West Virginia or Virginia or something like that to me just as easily. So it's landscape as well.
1: The, un, the unfortunate uh, fact is you can find areas like this probably in every state now just in terms of uh, how easy it is to make, sell, and, and procure meth. So, I, you know, one thing I've learned about living in several different states is there's really not a huge swing of difference between rural anywhere.
0: That's a great point.
1: And that's not a knock. And I'm not saying all rural rural areas are like this. I'm just saying that all states have these areas.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, no, it's a great point. And, but to what you're saying, there's a realism that is quite striking. And that's what Mary didn't like about it. Uh, as My wife was watching this. She just said... You know, coming from West Virginia, this is a world that was never never too far away. And this is not something, you know, I wanted to stay away from this. And, you know, this forces you to confront that world. It forces you to live in that world. And it, it was hard for her to do that. And that strong, visceral reaction that she had and that shows you how well made the film is because that's where they wanted to take you. Yep, agreed. Uh, and, but Reed's character is just so compelling to me. So now, Chad, you mentioned maybe a casting comment, but I mean, you said you didn't like Jennifer Lawrence as much. Uh, is this directed at Reed, the character? Because I, I love this character, Reed, because she just, you know, if you had to save for Reed, like it's like the Nike slogan, like just do it. Like she is uh, all tuned on. Like uh, I, I noticed that in Star Trek, even like the third movie, Star Trek Beyond, uh, Jayla is the character that yeah. uh, they based on her because they they liked her strong, survivalistic way of doing things and then her level head going through it. So is it the character read for you or is it Jennifer Lawrence?
2: No, I don't have a problem with the character. I mean, it's where the title comes from, that desperation, the like a dog digging for a winter's bone, just that determination and desperation. But yeah, Jennifer Lawrence and this could have come up in the casting section but she was turned away for being too pretty now I'm not someone that goes nuts over Jennifer Lawrence but I kind of agree she just she looks too clean too done up even even when she tried she was the one person that stuck out to me of you don't belong here the rest of the people were just they nailed it
0: well, in fairness, uh-huh. she doesn't have a taste for meth yet. She said this much. So yeah, if everybody yeah. else is on meth, you're by default the best-looking person in town.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's We true. have a winner.
1: <laughs> Last on meth.
2: Yeah, just even her facial features, and it's funny, she's from Kentucky, but her facial features didn't fit in. Like, some of these people are just, you know, they had that look, uh, teardrop. I've, I've met teardrops in my life. I've met the mirror abs. I've, I've met her friend uh, all of these people are just like that's what these rural country folk look like
0: yeah absolutely
2: and, and she didn't I, I've never seen anyone that looks like Jennifer Lawrence
0: huh interesting I'm, I'm not sure I'm with you but that's 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 good to know that's where you're coming from so it's, it's more of an aesthetic you know she just didn't fit it to you um,
2: right, right. Yeah. she was a distraction
0: Wow uh, maybe some of that's because you know who Jennifer Lawrence is now. And whereas had you taken this in in 2010, you you know, she was commodity
1: unknown.
2: I think I'd still say which of these is not like the other.
1: Really? Just to toss it out there. I saw this movie as part of uh, my mom every year does a, uh, a pool to who can guess what will win what Oscar. And back when she used to do that, I made it a point to try to see as many Oscar nominees as possible. That's how I saw this the first time. I actually think it's a big disservice to this movie that it didn't win more things, but I this was definitely my first Jennifer Lawrence movie and I didn't have any of those qualms when I saw it. Like yeah. that that thought never occurred to me watching this the first time.
0: I might say into what Brian was saying, it's never too soon to give an award to somebody because I'd say this is the best performance I've seen her in. I haven't seen her full catalog, but for me, for my money, this is her best.
1: And I really hadn't seen anybody in this movies except for anybody in this movie except for John Hawks. So the fact that this movie got the prominence, and I understand it's a Sundance indie type of film, but the fact that they put this thing together with a guy who literally has never been nominated for anything ever, you know, I had seen him in Deadwood. That's why I love him so much, and to have this sort of performance from him and then this relative unknown blew me away. And then when she, when she got caught, uh, cast for hunger games, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, that, that is the girl you're looking for. <laughs> that is exactly the girl you're looking for for Hunger games.
0: And then she made a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, now one of the things that I find myself asking is I went in kind of expecting more of a thriller because a lot of the, I guess literature and praise is that it's thrilling and it, it is suspenseful, but I do find myself asking, how would you define this as a genre? Cause it, it could be a drama, a mystery, a thriller a tragedy. I mean, there's even elements of this that are fitting within the horror realm. So what, how would you explain what this movie is genre wise?
1: I think that if I had to pick one, I think drama is definitely going to be fairly cemented as my pick. But one of the things that I really enjoyed about this movie is the slow burn, the less is more aspects of it, where you can see without dialogue so many of the things that she does to take care of the kids, all of the the old scrapbook scenes and stuff like that where they're reminiscing over times past, Uh, her relative ease at letting her father go because, you know, if if your family's up to no good, you know what you're into and and that mentality of we all know where this life leads us. And for you to get that at such a young age and then still take care and of of younger or ones younger than you and and not look forward, just look at the present. There's a lot to that, man. That's what Obi-Wan Kenobi wanted Luke Skywalker doing. Yeah. <laughs> so You know, she's she's very present and I really appreciated how in this movie, like this movie makes me appreciate what I have so much because, you know, she cares for her animals, even when, you know, there's not a lot to go around for the people. And there's so many parts of this movie that that I really appreciate and makes me appreciate the things around me. Absolutely.
2: I think it does a huge disservice ...for this movie to be labeled as a mystery. Because, like I said, when I was watching it, I didn't know what this was. And probably about 40 minutes in, I looked up just to see what the heck... ...where this was going as far as what genre this was. And it labeled it as mystery. I think that's a huge mistake, because I think one of the more disappointing parts of this movie is the mystery. Uh, Drama is where I would go as well, Fry,
0: I kind of agree and like the mystery I went I went in craving mystery who done it kind of thing and we didn't have that and the second time through I was prepared to let that go and I think that's why I enjoyed it more but the thrill is there it does keep you on the edge of your seat without having a lot of big action mo- uh moments so I mean there there like I said there's this realistic horror I know I don't mean in terms of monster horror but I mean there's this horrific side of this world that is Scary, And that's the part that was unsettling to Mary. And I, I I, did find myself sitting there saying like, it doesn't put you in a good spot, you know, when you watch this. And so uh, it, it, there is an aspect of this that is scary. You know, this is not a world you want to live in. I mean, this is not a nice place for women, especially. Everybody seems to be an angry male who is extremely aggressive. Everybody at, at all ages. And uh, they're, they're, they're just people are mean. There's a distaste towards... And, and distrust towards people who aren't within the clique. It's almost like a gang of like the drug dealers and drugs are so pervasive. There's a distrust and a distaste for the police and the government and everything around. So there's just not a lot of love, you know, I mean, the values of, you know, loving your neighbor and your community and, you know, helping each other, they're gone. This is not this world. And obviously I think, the drugs have infected and dominated that world.
1: So uh, maybe one thing that kind of helped me along with this, and I honestly, I don't remember when this show started, so it could have been something I saw after the fact. But uh, if you ever watched the show Justified with Timothy Oliphant, I'm not going to compare it to this movie because this movie was an Oscar nominee and Justified was just a good TV show. But you definitely get that rural... It's a different sense of family. And I think that if you watched a couple of the first, call it first three seasons of that, you would understand this movie better.
0: Hmm. Interesting. One thing that also frustrated me was V had like the only way out of this town with the means that they have is to like, to join the military. And she wanted to do that. That was her plan. And because of her father failed her, she had to give that up and take care of the children, and thus condemning her to stay in this world. That that recruiter scene in particular really hit me hard. When he's like, "Are you joining for the right reason?" Doesn't sound like you can do this. That that scene was like, because I was sitting there the whole time thinking, "Is like, you know, I'm not much of the whole. Like, I'm not well suited to be in the military. You know, I don't necessarily do the chain of command very well and stuff like that. But I mean, on the other hand, I'm sitting there going, like, man, the military is looking." really good right now and uh, to have that fall away from her and to have that carpet taken away from her I was sitting there going like oh no that's like you're stuck
2: that was probably one of the least believable scenes in this movie an army recruiter was just like are you sure you want to join are these the right reasons Not
1: so he he's a real soldier who's really an army, army recruiter and he treated that entire scene like he was talking to a real recruitee yeah
0: it felt genuine to me i i I'm with fry on that one
1: like that's exactly what he would have said to someone asking the questions that she asked
2: that is not the reputation they tend to have
0: I don't know I don't think they want you to join and then like leave and go jettison I mean they want you to feel a sense of duty to the country and to why to do something bigger and to protect the people and they don't want you to just to sign up for forty
1: thousand dollars <laughs> So I, uh, I I had this thought uh, this time watching it. I was like, you know what? I want her to join the military. I want her to come back to town like some just pure on badass and have this the rundown kind of moment. You know, she becomes sheriff with a freaking you know, sawed off two by four and just goes to town on everybody who, you know, killed her dad.
2: So hot fuzz. Punisher.
1: Yeah,
0: I was gonna say I was yeah. gonna, I was gonna go hot fuzz style, but yeah, sure. <laughs> what well,
1: wasn't wasn't the what was the one with the rock where he was in the military and he comes home and becomes sheriff with the the baseball bat two by four? Wasn't that yeah, the rundown? Yeah, that's the rundown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted that. I wanted that only with with Jennifer Lawrence.
0: That scene especially hit me because it was like that's your only ticket out, and it was pulled away from her. So,
1: Brian, do you want to give us a cast rundown? So we have Jennifer Lawrence as Ree Dolly. We have John Hawks as Teardrop Dolly, who names their kid that. I always thought it was like a prison reference, but he doesn't have that tattoo.
0: I'm pretty sure it's a reference to the tattoo on his eye. Yeah, that's a nickname. Did he have the tattoo?
1: Yeah. Like, like yeah. He see yeah, he had like okay. a little X on the Honestly, side of his eye,
0: a... which made him more scary.
1: Uh gotcha. Uh, Dale Dickey as uh, Marib. That's a lady. Yep. <laughs> Garrett Dillahunt as Sheriff Baskin. Lauren Sweet- uh, Sweetster as Gail. Uh, Shelley Wagner as Sonia, Kevin Bresnahan as Little Arthur. Ashley Thompson as Ashley Dolly. Tate Taylor as Mike Satterfield. He's the bondsman. And Cheryl Lee as April. Oh, and uh, Cody Shiloh Brown as Floyd.
0: So this cast is, to me very genuine and feels very realistic. I mean, there's a lot of characters in this who are who are actual locals who are in here. For instance, Ridale's sister... What was the name of the little sister?
2: Ashley. Yeah. Ashley.
0: Ashley is a local. And the house that they are actually filming in was the house where she lived. Uh, obviously, they put the different actors in there for her parents and siblings and stuff like that. But there is a strong effort to capture the location that they're in and uh, that to me shows through to the point of what you were getting at earlier chad you were pulled out of it by jennifer lawrence i just thought everything here just felt incredibly incredibly realistic
2: well that was actually the ashley thompson who plays ashley dolly that was her house that was her real house so that was kind of a neat touch
0: yeah yeah and uh, I thought it was interesting. We were dealing with a missing person. And Cheryl Lee plays Jessup's mistress. She's kind of uh, the woman that uh, uh, Ree's dad has gone off with throughout time. And so she connects to her and talks to her. Uh, Cheryl Lee played a missing person in Twin Peaks. She's Laura Palmer. So uh, kind of a fun connection there.
1: Love Twin Peaks. I, I really like what they did. With the cast of this movie, the fact that that you have two uh, actors who get nominated for Academy Awards with no real background for it or and, and hasn't happened since. So it's if I feel like it goes to show that if you have the right situation in the right movie there are so many actors out there that will surprise you with a very deep performance that may just have not had that opportunity yet.
2: Yeah. No, I, I agree there. And you know, to her credit, I mentioned earlier, she was turned down for being too pretty by the casting directors. Jennifer Lawrence was really determined to get this part. She flew to New York overnight, walked 13 blocks and sleep and auditioned with a runny nose. And she hadn't, washed her hair in a week so she kind of uglied herself up to go after this part so good on her
1: i think it's a realism aspect that you know they're looking for someone who can't take genuine care of themselves at least in terms of of what we consider care and cuz i think if you asked re do you take care of those children she'd be like well hell yes i do and i'll shoot anybody who says otherwise yeah it may not be our, you know, like our idea of hygiene or whatnot, but according to her, you know, they're happy, healthy, and I'll shoot you.
0: She was pretty defensive when the notion that, you know, the neighbors, which in fairness, the woman actually seems pretty decent for the for the town they're in. But, I mean, the guy who, who uh, she's married to, who she's attached to, when he's like, we'll take your son, but not your daughter. Or, or, I mean, you'll take your brother. But obviously she has very few choices, but she defended... Like, she's like, like hell you will. Yeah. Yeah. So to your point, Brian, she absolutely did have that. She was disgusted. And in fairness, he did just threaten to beat (laughs) Um, her younger brother
1: no more than 60 minutes ago, probably. Good to have balls, kid. Make sure they don't get you hurt.
2: Well, that character in the book, there had been, I believe it was rape. Uh, of re so there was a history
0: no not that character that's little arthur little arthur is the character with the ferret and the house yes and so yes that
2: ferret really bothered me that enclosure was not big enough
1: That's what bothered you? That's what bothered you? <laughs> yes,
2: I there were a lot of other Upon watching
1: this movie, things. the one thing that really got me was the ferret enclosure was not big enough. I became uncomfortable when I saw that the enclosure was not <laughs> size <laughs> properly for the animal. My God, the size of that ferret enclosure is just not proper.
2: He was cleaning his gun and everything else, but I was just distracted by the ferret. I was like, please get him a proper place to play.
1: You've been gone
0: too long, Chad. The, the hot takes are coming back. I like it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> for me I was like broken hearted the horse hadn't eaten in four days and that they're you know feeding the dogs possibly spoiled leftovers but still taking in more strays and that all the children love the dogs and everything but nope for Chad it's the ferret in his small enclosure
2: <laughs> can, can we at least get the ferret some toys or something <laughs>
1: okay <laughs> Um, Chad, can that be your look for this? Like, look at this ferret enclosure right here. Like, just indignant. This this was
2: too small. You need at least a 13-gallon enclosure for a ferret. I mean...
0: Man, the PETA listeners are proud of you, man.
1: I didn't see what the enclosure was in Starship Troopers, but did Neil Patrick Harris have a proper ferret enclosure for his ferret in in Starship Troopers?
2: It was better.
0: (laughs) So to your point, though, Chad, this movie is made from a novel, a 2006 novel by Daniel Woodrell. And there's a lot of elements that had to be cut down from this. And as uh, kind of as we transition talking to the director, Debbie Granick, director, she did a great job here. She was saying that the role of a director is to try and live up to the novel because it's a hard thing to do. And so, I mean, you're always going to have to remove stuff from it. There was this authenticity that she said was the most important part to bring to it. And But there's elements of the book that didn't make it into this. And to what you said, I mean, there's this angst between Ree and Little Arthur. But in the book, you're right. At When Ree's younger at an un- undisclosed age, uh, she's fed hallucinogenic mushrooms and then raped by Little Arthur. So they take that out of the film. This world is raw enough and mean enough and cruel enough. I'm actually okay that we didn't know that detail. Um, yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah. But Deborah Granick on this one, for me, I mean... One word, real. Just, I probably have said it a bunch of times. Say it three times. Real, real, real. I mean, she did an amazing job as a director. She nailed this world. And more than any movie I think we've covered on this, it feels realistic. Agreed. Uh, yeah. Now, Brian, what do you think about Deborah Granik as a director here? I hadn't seen any of her movies other than this, but, I mean, here I was really impressed.
1: I could name another one she's done. I'm not saying that... She hasn't done anything I've ever heard of, but I walked into this movie with no idea about really anything. I mean, how many times do you buy or see a movie where you're like, well, I know little to nothing about this uh, in terms of cast and whatnot. I kind of knew a little bit about the plot, but I didn't really know anything about anybody involved and uh, I think that may be like when you have that basis of surprise on impact on what the movie did for you in terms of emotional response and whatnot. I, I feel like that just made this almost mythical. Like, how many movies can you remember seeing with nobody in it, nobody you've heard of, and a director that you can't, you know, tag other things to? And then it just blows you away because you're like, "Wow, this should have been nominated. This, sh- the, yep, that should have won uh, Sundance, and this absolutely should win all these things over here, too." So, I, I just, it's so seldom that you can hit a home run as a minor league team in the perf- in the pros. I guess is the metaphor I'd use here.
0: Yeah. Now, Chad, how about you and the director?
2: Yeah, she's great at discovering talent. She discovered the lady who went on to star in the Conjuring movies. I can't remember her name right now, but it was the movie that preceded this one. Uh, I, I, like you, have seen none of her other works. I'd be interested in seeing them now. She seems, from what I was reading about her, it was a focus on using locals. And that's so important, getting people that understand the The terrain and not setting up A shack and calling it the Charleston Marriott Oh god Mothman Mothman prophecy uh, We we will continue to call you out Until you George Lucas that cut (laughs) Every
1: every chance I get to call out that Horrible horrible travesty of a shot I'm like really?
2: But Yeah. yeah I mean Russell your word real Is the best word to describe it Just using what you've got Using the people that you've got and getting them to act in a manner that's normal for them or at least something that they would know about and using them as your experts. That's so important.
0: Yep, and they obviously set up shop and they filmed it on location, so she did an amazing job of actually going to the right place. But, I mean, the actors were there in the community and she talked about how the people of the town, you know, I could easily see someone not being welcoming to this particular production being made in my town. But uh, she mentioned that there was an influential person in town, kind of a um, a well-regarded man there who had uh, read the book, understood it, and had communicated with the filmmakers ahead of time. And it was through him and through gradual, delicate asking that they were able to attain this closeness that they had with this area in the Ozark Mountains in Missouri when they were shooting this. And, again, I want to credit her because there's a lot of places who would say, no, I don't want this shot here. It might be written for here, but I don't want it here. And the authenticity um, really shone through here. And I was sad that she didn't get a director nomination out of this one because I think a lot of the impressive parts of this are, again, she found the right place. She talked about it as you – again have to bring the vision to the novel the place is the hardest and most important part to do and then once you're there the next hardest thing is to populate it properly and so she just had an amazing attention for detail both through props actors and environment I mean cinematography wise this isn't a pretty movie but in a way it's kind of appropriate for where it is.
2: Yeah as far as that goes it's a lot of close up shots and I thought they deliberately blurred the background a lot just to kind of add to the haze and the grit and the grime of the world. So I've, I've
1: got two things on this. One, I completely agree with you, Rush. She definitely at least deserved a nod for this movie. But my second piece on this is I think that if you approach it with respect, saying, I'm trying to tell this story and it matches this location, that you'll find that a lot of people who live and and struggle through the hardships that she portrayed in this, would not only be welcoming of the opportunity to do this, but also unapologetic for how they live. And I think that's kind of how it
0: happened, but to foster that relationship between this town and the production of a Hollywood people coming in there is difficult. Oh,
1: no, super difficult. Absolutely. Completely agree with that piece. I just want to give props to the people who do live this way And the fact that they can say, yes, you can come in here. You can film us this way. You can portray us. We're going to give you this trust. And that trust is easier to give when you are unapologetic on how you live. And that is who Ree's character was. She was like, yeah, you don't ask for what should be freely given.
0: Yes. Yes. And to your point... I think Ebert actually praised it for this, and it goes a step beyond what he was saying, too. I mean, there is a lack of judgment as the film takes towards these people. Deborah Granick is not condemning or descending to stereotypes in how she portrays these characters. There is a humanity to them. There is sadness, but it's not totally pity either. And it walks a very, very, very delicate line, which is why I said it's so real. It's not condemning or saying like we in the Hollywood world or the movie making world look down on these people and look how simple they are. It doesn't have a condescending tone and nor does it have a pity tone. I mean, it's there's a sense of I'm not going to go all the way documentary style, but I mean, there's a sense of authenticity that she achieved in portraying this world and what it feels like to live in it. And to someone like you said, it makes me very thankful for what I have. I think that's a big eye-opener for a lot of people who don't live in this world or aren't a stone's throw away from this world
1: i think that if any if at any point in time during this movie that the people who allowed this to be filmed in and around them thought that there was a thumbing their nose at them that this probably wouldn't have been made i think it was because she stayed true to how she filmed this that they were like yep that's us
2: we didn't let them film wrong turn in west virginia (laughs)
1: <laughs> right uh, uh, this is
0: yeah this is not that kind of movie though <laughs> um uh... <laughs> no
2: but I mean but he he makes
1: a, a pertinent point there that when you're trying to make fun of or make light of or or thumb your nose at a culture and that's what wrong turn really does that's when it's like no that's not happening here but if you're trying to make an honest film on how honest or dishonest people live. And in the end, it's correct. They're not going to dissuade you or prevent you for portraying that because they're unapologetic for how they live.
0: Yep. Absolutely. And I want to give her credit too, for what you were saying earlier, Brian, it's a good slow burn. She has a great task of storytelling on this one. I was looking at the stuff that they cut out later and there's a lot of fat that would have really slowed this down. The book has a lot of dialogue between Gale and uh, Re, uh, and uh, there's even this tension between the two of them where I guess they had uh, been romantically involved in the past, the two uh, the two best friends, and there's some part of the reason why there's this contentious relationship between the husband and them. Again, you, ha- you can't tell everything, and I don't really think that that is at the core of what this is. You know, there's a- another scene where uh, she you know, goes into a cave and makes a fire to just escape her world. And cause she can't handle it all. And she smokes, uh, you know, a, a marijuana. And I'm sitting there going like, well, that kind of takes away at the strength of the character.
1: Oh, if I'm doing a best quotes of the podcast ever going into a cave and smoking a marijuana would make my top five. I was going I don't know what was gonna, I was I was going to say a doobie
0: because they said a doobie in the movie and then I was going to say a joint then I Here's do- a doobie for your walk yeah, home. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I would like to smoke one marijuana, please. Yeah. I would I would be horrible buying drugs. I, I'm so you know, I'd like three cocaine and a marijuana, please. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, okay. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. Please, like I want the audience to know that, that, that there's no judgment here because I'm in the same boat. I uh, I live in a legal state where marijuana terrifies me because they've been working on it like it's gonna cure cancer. and I think that if I smoked it I'd just lose my mind the first time and die. So, please understand that the 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 ignorance of drug use on here is is fairly complete.
0: Yes, we did not do meth as part of our homework to understand this movie.
2: You guys didn't? Oh, teach
1: uh, us. Gotten a taste yet?
2: That's the only way I'm awake at ten fifty one at night.
1: <laughs> they make coffee and soda. <laughs> I thought it was interesting,
0: though, that as a director, she made a decision to not show the missing person, either in flashback or in anything beyond a photo album as a child. And you don't see Rhee's dad at any point. And interesting choice. Normally, you would have something like that. You would introduce the character beforehand and have like a you know, volume zero to the movie before it begins. We never see Jessup, the dad. And uh, I thought that was an interesting move. It made it haunting. In a way, it made it very real. Like, you felt like, wait, where is this person?
2: It's one less person you have to pay.
1: <laughs> so I, I had a thought on this whole piece. Jessup is supposed to be the younger brother, correct? Um, I think I, so. I think so. Okay. So do you guys remember DJ Qualls? Yeah. From the new guy?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How much does he look like Hawks? Huh.
2: You're right. Like I, like
1: the whole time I was thinking, okay, DJ could totally be the younger brother. He was born in '78, so Ree could totally be his kid. Hmm. All of this with, like, I, I just, like, as a casting piece, and I agree with your, your statement that they shouldn't show him. But the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, could this guy not have been the younger brother?
0: Wow, that's a I never. I never would have gotten there Thanks, man I I, I see oh, it now, though dude
1: No, on the rewatch Like, this is something That was just dominating my thoughts To the point where I was picturing him As the dad
2: That's kind of a fun image
1: <laughs> Now, Chad You have often mentioned One of
0: your trademark lines That you said I don't like to be put through a movie And I'm not going to enjoy that Is this a movie that you felt like You were put through?
2: Yes, <laughs> it's it's a good movie. Uh, it really is, but it's not the type of movie I seek out. It's not the type of movie that I'll revisit. You know, a lot of this stuff. To Mary's point, you know, Elk River was not Charleston, and Elk River is not any of the the worst counties in West Virginia. But there were a lot of areas here where. The phrase, what are you doing on my property, came up a lot. So, you know, to that, I appreciated it for what it was. But, yeah, it's it's not something I seek out.
1: I think I've said that exact phrase several times here in Washington. so <laughs> You're getting there. And you have it's, a
2: dog. That's a it's big one,
1: part. It's one of those things that I feel like comes with you regardless of, uh, you know, where you lived. I I feel like there's e- even though I I don't, you know, claim any sort of, you know, closeness to the story in terms of how this went down. Uh, I respect a whole lot of it. I think that's why this is I'm not going to call this a super rewatchable movie. I don't think that's true. But if someone wanted to watch it, they were like, "Oh, I haven't seen Winter's Matter I'd be like, "Oh, we're watching that tonight." You know,
0: I really think you should see it twice. I I would say that.
1: Yeah. It, and, you know, I own it. So this is something that I do watch. Is it something I'm eager to watch? Like, Oh God, I just really need to watch *Winter's Ben right now. No. But when you brought it up for the podcast, I was like, yes, absolutely. So it, there's, there's, I have a lot of respect for the manner in which she imports herself in this movie and, that these th- this sort of society exists, and there is a code of honor for them that it, you know exists, and I think that's what actually ends up getting her to the point where she is holding her dead father's hands while someone chainsaws them off. But if you look at the the grit first off that that took for a daughter to do to make sure that her younger siblings had a roof over their head. I mean, this is the kind of thing that like the women in this movie could kick my butt. It's a tough world to be in for these women. These are hard people and they still find joy in life through small things like playing the banjo or whatever. And they're unapologetic. And I respect so many aspects of that life.
0: Yeah, and I want to give a lot of credit to as we transition to like into that physical environment uh, again, the details are what sings from when I said you really should see this a second time. It, it, you can't fully appreciate that level of detail with one watch, I don't think, because what these characters are are so believable is a large demographics direction credit. Uh, it, it's just how they move. And How they, what they have in their hands at the time, how like you know, teardrops just twirling a gun casually and like loading it in a very threatening manner. Uh, How the little wooden horse is this important connection for the for the girl, and that she likes horses. They have a horse. They have to give the horse away to the neighbors, and the pain that that is clearly causing, and. Uh, how cluttered and dirty the environment is. Everything is worn, and it, it's like the inside of the house doesn't feel like home. But, I mean, this is what they have, and it's everything to them. And, you know, there's nothing clean, and there's no safe place in to go to, necessarily. The most welcoming place is maybe a school with fluorescent lights and um, block walls. I mean, that level of detail is important, and they did show in the behind-the-scenes footage of the DVD... You know, they were staging things to, you know, position certain items that meant certain things. You know, when Re goes and looks through the clothes and stuff like that of her dad's, you feel the pain that he's missing. And she's looking at that. So there's so much stuff that you can't quite pick up on that first time. And I want to really appreciate this movie just because it really lives in the details.
2: Yeah. When I was watching it, I was like, man, they really nailed the wardrobe. This is what people look like. When you go out into the country and it turns out most of it was at the actual residence of Forsyth, Missouri. It was their clothes and they gave them to the cast members and Deborah Granick just offered in exchange of we'll buy you new clothes. So these weren't some wardrobe or style. This was straight off the backs of the people that lived there. Gosh,
0: that's awesome. As a director, I mean, that's awesome. And furthermore, that's a really delicate way of handling that. Again, of like, hey, I want to have the real thing. And instead of just patronizing people who live in that world, you know, that's a really nice thing that you've also done for them. Of Like, hey, do you want an upgraded coat?
1: I would bet money that just in the tenor of this movie, I I bet money that they didn't ask for new clothes. Oh, I,
0: I, I don't doubt that they didn't ask for it, but I'm sure that, you know, like just the offer again, that, that, that line of like, don't, don't ask to be uh, given what should be offered. And uh, I think there is that, that is, there's is still an honor part that's there.
1: It's a pride piece and I totally get it. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's very true of that culture as well. They did capture that well as well. Uh, you know, I don't have much, but what I have is mine. I've earned it. And there's a, there's a, lot of conveyed elements of this movie that this is a hard working world to be in. And we talk about why it's aggressive and unfriendly and I don't want to live in it um, or uncomfortable. I mean, this is a hard working world. I mean, everybody's wearing, wearing dirty, torn uh, clothes that are worn down, hand-me-downs. There's a sense of this life is a lot of work. You have to split the wood. You have to keep the house running and in a way that most people uh, throughout most of Middle America just this is not this is almost like post-apocalyptic to them, but it's very very real and Re has to do it and that's one of the things Deborah Granick spoke about in an interview. Re has to actually do everything for real.
2: Yep,
1: I kind of dug the uh, the mushrooms hanging from the pillars at the front of the house.
2: Oh yeah, that was a good touch.
1: Yeah, I feel like using that was almost like a like bones, if that makes sense. Like it kind of yeah. looks like where you have other movies where you have like the the hut with various bones scattered around the front or something like that that the mushrooms actually kind of gave a we keep what we kill kind of piece to it.
2: I could have used some more wind chimes or dream catchers to reinforce the country. Okay. <laughs> no, that's not a thing
1: for you. Chad wants to see the wind. Uh I as far as dream catchers go, I feel like that is a A specific piece that that goes more to um, being able to afford a dalliance into other cultures whereas this is really just brass tacks log cabin like we don't meddle in how other people live and we don't expect anyone to meddle into how we live and a lot of that goes into the even teardrops interaction with the police where he's like
0: That was a tense scene.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, I love it. It's just one of those things where it's like, do you really want to do this? And, and I really recommend not because they carry the same weight, because this is a very weighty movie. But if you watch justified in any amount, you'll totally see the law enforcement versus inclusionary, you know, we don't talk to the law. Like peace that comes from this sort of culture.
0: Yep, absolutely. And I liked how the uh, Thump Milton character he stood out from everybody just by simply how he dressed. Like he kind of had this hierarchy as the gang member. I like that detail on him. Like there was a there was an ominous sense to this character, even though he says very little. He gets very 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 little screen time, but you kind of tell that he's the big boss.
2: He had the most patches on his jacket. That's <laughs> a man to be feared.
0: He's a, he's cleaner than everybody else. He's got a certain type of hat, like, and other people aren't wearing anything like that. He's dressed differently. I mean, it's just you know, ringleader. He just reeks of ring ringleader, and he was scary when he's like, "Do you have something to say? You better say it now." I'm just like, "Oh man!" Like that that scene where she's in there, man. It's just his presence very overwhelming. And there's a lot of scary people. Teardrop's scary, and he's the good guy. And I mean, little Arthur creeps me out. And that was before I knew about the part in the book that got cut. Mm. Mm. Soundtrack. This is a very stripped down folksy Hollow soundtrack. Chad, what did you think about the music here?
2: I could have used a little bit more gospel and bluegrass in it. There was one point where there was death metal going on and that kind of threw me off. Uh they did have little inclusions. The opening had a little folksy tune and uh there was there was a cut towards the middle that had a gospel song that was kind of nice but as grungy as this world is it's intertwined with that type of music and i wanted to hear a little bit more even if it was just sorrowful in the background
1: interesting brian what did you think about the music uh i get that uh, chad's piece on that but at the same time i think this is one of those movies where the the void of sound needs to happen, like her walking through the woods, just trudging through the leaves, and and that piece needs to be a silent thing not not accompanied by anything else now, like Missouri Waltz at the beginning of it, I really enjoy that song, I'm a huge fan of Americana music anyway, so you know, the whole scene where she goes to visit the mistress or the on-again, off-again side girl and they're all playing and singing. Like, I like that. Like, from 10 years of 4-H camp, you know, that's that's something that I enjoy that reminds me of home. So I enjoy those pieces in this. Now, as far as the death metal <clears throat> scene, it is a stark contrast because it's snapping you to, you know, to this point she's dealt with mostly older seasoned and and frankly beaten down members of of their society this guy's the husband of her you know past lover and you could tell he's you know a d***. and was he messing with an ankle bracelet like a the the uh like you can't leave the house kind it was one of those things i kept like pausing and rewinding to see
0: I don't know. I thought I thought he was just getting his shin guards on to
1: go on a four wheeler. Uh, it could be, could be. It just, it was one of those things where, like, when she was asking you to use the truck and whatnot, like I, I kind of got the vibe that he wasn't allowed to leave the house and that he was, you know, the hot head young person Angry. who thinks yeah. he's yeah. So totally understood the music for that piece, but by and large, in terms of you know. The culture that they're coming from, I thought the music played its part for the parts that was necessary.
0: I think they chose them really well for the tone of the movie. Actually, I think what you're describing, Chad, is even in these perhaps dark worlds, there's bright music to be had and warmth through that. But I think what she's going for is you know the the film is shot at wintertime and so everything's brown, gray. There's desaturated fil- camera filters on this as well, where there's no bright blues, reds, or uh, greens. And everything's very muddy, and there's a hollowness and a coldness that's conveyed in this winter setting. And they wanted you to have that, so this very, very empty, hollow banjo and the you know solitary voices, as opposed to more ensemble singing. Uh, I don't know. I felt like it was it was scary, and like I said, I maybe mean, it's because I was scared this movie, but I think it fit the scary tone of what Deborah Granick was shooting to make.
2: Yeah. it's was- As far as sound goes, I will throw in the use of dogs was really outstanding. Because when you go to someone's house in the country, every single house is just going to have two or three of these hounds that just go nuts against the screen door. And you heard that just about every location she had, the scratching, the the howling, the barking. So that really... It reinforced, hey, we're out in the country, but it also added to the menace of it, of you shouldn't be on this property.
0: Yeah. You guys ready to hand some awards? Let's do it. Fry, why don't you start us off with your MVP?
1: I'm going to do this backwards. So, just going to give you guys a heads up on this. So, my MVP was John Hawks as Teardrop. Um, I I don't think I would have enjoyed this movie nearly as much as the turnaround of her coming to him for help, him realizing that he should have done more, and then them becoming closer as a family based on her gumption.
0: Yes. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, but you're going with Hawks there. And he was great, too. He totally deserved his Oscar nomination.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah.
0: Now, uh, Chad, who's your MVP? Going
2: off reservation here, Carrie Barden and Paul Schnee. They're the casting directors, and I think they just hit a home run almost every single character. These are people I know. They dressed and acted their parts to perfection, so kudos to the casting department.
0: Wow. I almost assumed that by the time it got to me, Jennifer Lawrence would have been picked, so I, I prepared to go in another direction, but I mean, I genuinely want to give this to Debra Granick. I mean, I, I have to give a nod to Jennifer Lawrence because nobody said her, but I mean, uh, she she did an amazingly good job. But Deborah Granick as a director here, I think it's a shame she didn't get that nomination for the uh, best director. Didn't say she deserved to win it that year necessarily, but uh, a nod would have been very good for her. So I I, th- I thought her attention to detail and her ability to make this all come together in such a visceral, real way was impressive. So Deborah Granick for me,
2: very good.
1: Just so I can drive a nail in here, and I might get a little backlash on this, but given the constant insistence on Darren Aronofsky, I would have liked to have seen her win this.
0: (laughs) Now, best supporting actor, Brian.
1: So I literally have a note next to supporting. I'm not saying this is supporting. It's Jennifer Lawrence. Like, she was my number two, and we don't have best actor in accordance with MVP. So my MVP is John Hawks the main part of this was based on Jennifer Lawrence and, and her driving force in this movie. So I'm putting this under supporting because I don't have a category to put it under. So she is that piece.
0: Wow. You, uh, yeah, you, you circumvented the system to make it happen, but Jennifer Lawrence needed to have, uh, some kind of take home award from this show. Uh, so I, I, am going to allow it this time. So, uh,
1: but I, I, I couldn't put Hawks as supporting because his presence was MVP worthy.
0: Agreed. That's a great choice. I, I just... Yeah. I know. I know you're uh, you're breaking the mold, but Chet, best supporting actor.
2: I feel like Dale Dickey got snubbed. Mir- Mirab, she's intimidating. She's a force. And her performance was just marvelous.
0: I'm 100% with you. I actually felt like Dale Dickey deserved to have some attention thrown her way. So I'm actually going to cast a second vote for her. And I'd love... John Hawks in this, so he did a great job and with the Oscar nomination. I felt like he got his dues, but Dale Diggy was scary. She was she was off putting. She was uh she had a quite a presence herself in this.
1: So she has a, a, a micro part, like it's it's a couple lines. Uh it's in a movie called The Sentinel with Michael Douglas. And he comes to her door and he's looking for somebody and she's like, Oh I, I haven't heard from him as soon as he leaves. She picks up the phone and goes, hey, Scott came looking for you. It's a cop. <laughs> like that, like I still remember that line verbatim because like she plays that part well. And, you know, when I saw her in this, I was just like, ah, it's cop.
0: <laughs> so who's your hidden gem, Brian?
1: I really want to say that my hidden gem for this is the collection of townspeople. Or regular, you know, the, the people that actually live there that they use in this movie, like that was the gem of this movie. They use so many people that are real, like we've talked about it. We've harped on about it a lot during this podcast about the realness, the, the gravity of this movie. And that was brought to you by all the people who aren't actors and actresses. They just carried on.
0: Great choice. What about you, Chad? Hidden Jim.
2: Meredith Sisko. She's this country lady who's singing briefly and it's one of those throwaway scenes where there you might just forget it even happened, but it's one of the very musical portions and her look was perfect for the movie and she actually has an album. Like that's what she does. So good on Meredith Sisko featuring the voice.
1: You're talking about the birthday party. Yeah.
2: Yes, the Yeah, the absolutely. Totally agree over with that overweight lady with a mole yeah she was great i'm gonna go
0: with the cinnamon schultz is her name she plays victoria she's teardrops female companion uh, i'm not clear what their relationship status is but um i thought she did wait her
2: her real name is cinnamon yes okay
0: Yep. Uh, victoria is the the movie name but uh yes cinnamon schultz is the actress's name, and I thought she did a great job. There was probably the only compassionate character other than a close friend in this who wanted to help her out, and I, I felt like she did. She nailed her scene on that one. And then also I like how they also reel it back in with the, uh, you know, even even this family member who's, you know, trying to help you out. Here's some money, and I tried to help you out and do the right thing. By the way, have a doobie on the way home, so.
1: Have a doobie on the way home. Have one marijuana. Have a, have a single marijuana for your walk.
2: I got a marijuana for you. I really
1: need to keep that in now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, recast, Brian. So, my recast is a little shameless here. I've been like harping on David Harbour from Stra- Stranger Things as all sheriff-related things. So I'm gonna <laughs> recast David Harbour as Garrett Dell Hunt's character of sh- sh- uh, Sheriff Baskin, because I just love him in Law. I like it. I like it.
2: All I'm up for it. Yeah.
1: I-, I feel like he's scarier. Like I feel like that that standoff would have maybe lasted a second longer, where you think, "Oh, they're gonna get down." I feel like Garrett Dell Hunt looked like the kind of guy that backs down. Whereas if you have Harbor in there, you'd be like, oh, it's on. Guys, guys, it's on. Guys, check this out. It's on. it's on. It's on. It's on. And then it's like, if you backstand, you're like, oh, I thought it was on.
0: In that scene, uh, it was so tense. I was, if I'd re- I had been Rhea, was like, I'm going to walk home. What? It's dark. I'm going to walk home. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like where this is going. <laughs> um, uh, no, but Chad, recast.
2: I'm going to duck when I say this, but Jennifer Lawrence.
0: You need to duck. We're throwing things at you.
2: uh, Yeah, she won an Oscar, but her look just doesn't work for me. Uh, I'm recasting with someone of a similar age, actually just one year younger than she was. Don't
0: you say Natalie Portman.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Kelsey Ballerini. Uh, she's She's a country music singer from Tennessee, but she really pulls off the rural look, and I think she'd be a better fit.
0: Okay. We'll have to look that one up because I'm actually not familiar with that one. But uh, bold pick. And uh, my recast is going to go to the mother. This is total overcast for the part. But uh, by the way, I liked all the acting in this. So my recast is going to be Valerie Richards, who plays Connie, the mother. And I'm going to overcast her with Laura Linney, Uh, just like Laura Linney as an actress. And I think, uh, you know, her as this catatonic, zoned out, brain damaged mother. Great cast. Had a hard time doing this. Best shot. Brian?
1: I really like the shot where Teardrop comes and hands the kids the chicks. Oh, yeah. Like, you don't really get the import of this, but, like, if they're male, they end up being food. If they're female, they end up being, you know, egg-bearing chickens. And it really is a magnanimous gift for a family that needs food.
0: Absolutely. And a great choice there, too. Chad, we mentioned this isn't a cinematically rich movie but what was your favorite shot
2: so this may not mean very much but there's this ugly lawn ornament going down a slide at Mirab's house and i've just seen these types of things all my life and it for me it was just the perfect shot of oh of course that's there and they focused in on it and it was just a neat touch
0: okay I'm going to go with the shooting at squirrels uh, when they were hunting. They used a nice perspective of looking back at them with the gun in their hand. So I uh, thought that that teaching moment of her teaching her siblings how to survive as she does. That was my favorite shot.
1: Best scene. Brian. My best scene is going to be her running after Thump at the cow show. The whole oh, okay. part of her trying to get his attention. And then the whole thing they did with the cow, the the baby calf screaming. I thought that was really heavy i i really like that whole desperation piece i'm trying to get your attention it's probably what her got her butt kicked later on i'm sure he probably heard her and still ignored but the cinematography of how they they panned from her walking on the catwalk to running on the catwalk to yelling at him to the calf screaming like i thought that whole composition was awesome
0: that was a candidate for my best shot I'm glad you mentioned that. Good choice, too, for best scene. Chad, what's your best scene?
2: The chainsaw scene. It's traumatic. It's well-acted. And it's my second favorite scene where someone chainsaws a handoff.
1: Second favorite scene. Evil Dead. Okay.
0: Okay. Solid. Now, uh, my best scene is going to be when Teardrop comes to save Ree. When that garage door is going up. I wasn't sure if that was her dad that she's been looking for this whole time. I wasn't sure who was behind there. Couldn't be good, I thought. And then uh, an unlikely hero, and that to me is a moment of like, you know, you're in a bad spot when you're like, oh, good, Uncle Teardrops here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, well, she well, she said herself. She was like, I've been afraid of you for you know my whole life, and you know he he had a quote that was somewhere along the lines of. You know, you're as hard as you have to be.
0: Save s- save that. I'll be I'll be following that up mm. there. So okay. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, change one thing, Brian.
1: You know, I would have liked a little bit more background and context for the drug ring, like the extended family that was running this. I liked the the character of Thump, and the fairly little we really got out of that but maybe a little bit more of, of the prominence or even the hierarchy where it came, because you kind of see her swimming upstream, you know, talking to this person and that person, and you know, eventually getting to the guy who's, you know, the king of the holler. And I would, I guess I would have liked to have seen maybe a little bit, maybe a background scene of law enforcement or something saying, all right, this is top dog. And, you know, a little bit more of the family tree as it were. Okay.
0: Yeah. Expand into that and understand what's going on there. I think there's a reason we don't know, though, too, at the same time. She does not care. She just wants what she wants, and she's not going to talk. And that's somewhat emblematic where we don't get that whole thing sealed up. She's like, you mind your own business. Right. But I I do find myself being curious about the same thing, Brian. Chad, what is your change one thing?
2: I don't want to lean into the stereotype too much because it's important what they've done here but honestly for a bunch of meth addicts and tweakers they had great teeth and that really needed some work.
0: Nope, well, that's a nice mm. yeah, nice nice suggestion there. And That's me, why I thought
1: it was cocaine. <laughs>
0: uh, my change one thing is going to be I would like this is a story element so this is probably a book issue but I'd like a piece of misdirection. I'd like Everything's very straightforward in this one. Re goes from place to place. She's too smart to be fooled into a burned down house that has weeds coming up out of it. She's too smart to know when that's not it and she's always on the path. I think it would add a layer of interest if she had a piece of wrong information that she then had to discard or something that was sending her in one direction where she feels like she has to pursue this person. She suspects this person can help her and then in the end it doesn't or something. So... It's that piece of mystery that we were talking about earlier, Chad, of my expectation of this being a mystery. One, just one single element in the plot that sends you in the wrong direction that keeps you wondering what's right here. I think that would really improve this movie.
2: That's fair.
1: I think I liked her single minded directedness that if your dad is a meth cooker and she clearly knew a lot about it, like he doesn't blow up labs. Like, he's better than all these things. If he died, it's because you all chose to kill him. I think her single-mindedness on this and her, her ability to be like, yes, this is what happens. I know what happened. And I'm demanding an answer is part of her base gumption and why I think she's probably, I think at some point, they realize like, this is, this is not a member of the family to disrespect. I I think that if there were a winner's bone too, this would be more (laughs) like this is, I I would think that the extended part of the family that's running this would be like, this is someone we need to entrust with things, not simply keep out.
0: And, what is
1: your best quote, Brian? Uh, I really liked, uh, it's great to have balls, kid. Make sure they don't get you hurt.
0: All right. Mm. Good advice. And uh,
2: Chad? Here's a menacing line from Teardrop. I already told you once with my mouth.
0: Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was... Yeah. That's that, again, no, this, is, this, this, this is not a fun world to live in for a woman. Uh-huh. Can,
2: can I double down on
1: that? Oh yeah. My favorite Teardrop line was, is this going to be our time? <laughs> oh, God. When he said that, I was like, dude, you can see in the rear view, he's got like an M14. <laughs> and it's like, I understand that you have the angle on him. But, dude, he's ready to throw down with like a rifle on you. And he's crazy. <laughs> yeah. What an
2: awesome piece! Just, just the menace without really, I mean, they could have dialogue-wise gone, you know, "I do I need to tell you with my fist or... Anything like that, they didn't. Just the menace behind everything he says is a credit.
0: Tasteful direction. You know it's there, but you don't show it. You don't have to bring that ugliness onto the screen. I'm with you, Chad. That that line says a lot. But
1: even if you look at Jennifer Lawrence, like when they've hit her and beat her up and dropped her, like, what are we going to do with you, girl? And she's like, well, I guess kill me. Like, there's death. death is a plausible option here. It's not like the next line is
2: that was already discussed.
1: Yeah. And she goes, then help me. Has that been discussed? Like, that's the kind of thing. It's like this whole family's at this point where it's like, look, you can't hurt us anymore. So we're either going to throw down or you're going to back us up. Those are the options.
0: So my best quote is very much in line with what you guys are getting at here. And uh, it is when Reed tells teardrop, you've always scared me teardrop and uh he says that's because you're smart
2: yeah and
1: uh Gosh. yeah he is scary he was phenomenal in this movie just phenomenal
0: we've come full circle and we're gonna rate this movie on a five star scale with half star intervals brian what would you rate *Winter's bone
1: i'm gonna give this one of my few and far between five stars five star wow well done
0: chad are you gonna go with a five star as well
2: i'm gonna give it a three star and duck again it's really well done, but it doesn't particularly make it enjoyable for me. They're great performances, but I kinda felt like I was following a Jehovah's Witness in a really messed up neighborhood for half the movie. And it just had a really unsatisfying conclusion for me.
0: Okay. Well you you didn't like the happy ending? She gets the money, she holds her family together.
2: I mean there's a banjo concert on the front porch. Yeah, that's a that's a happy ending, but
0: Oh, you mean you mean literally the outro is uh uh, man, I want to talk about that, but we got to close. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm going to go with a four star. I'm going to play it right down the middle between you guys and bring everybody together here. So uh, I'm going to go with four stars on this one. And I think perhaps some of my expectation of mystery is what's keeping me out of this. And like to Chad's point, this is not a fun world to live in. Much less visit, so it, it's not a, it, like you said, Brian. This is not a hey guys, let's get together on a Friday night and pop some popcorn and put seven of us around and watch Winter's Bone. This is a an experience.
1: Have you tried meth? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, so this this podcast was brought to you by meth. <laughs> is this a five o'clock free meth giveaway? I heard it was free meth. Chad, do you want to help me pick a movie for next time?
2: I would love to. Option? Steps
1: back slowly.
0: option number one hollywood land from 2006 a detective examines the mysterious death of george reeves the star of the television series adventures of superman from 1952 option two kiss kiss bang bang from 2005 a murder mystery brings together a private eye a struggling actress a thief masquerading as an actor all coming together option number three harper from 1966 Lou Harper, a cool private investigator, is hired by a wealthy California matron to locate her kidnapped husband.
2: I haven't seen any of these, so let's go with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang.
0: Bang Bang. Kiss Kiss. All right. That's what it will be. Looking forward to that one. And thank you guys for doing the show. Cheers, man. Remember all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We want to invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Those ratings help us make the show better, and they help proliferate and spread the show to other people. Uh, give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at, at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com if you want to talk to us in depth or if you want to be on the show. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian.
1: Not without prying, man. Get Wesley pipes.